listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 407. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and with me this week is my co-host, Pontus Böckmann. Hello! Hey, son! Hey, son, Annika! <coughs> oh, I almost lost my voice. How are you? Oh, no! You feeling better? <laughs> I'm feeling much better, yes, yes, but... I, I just really needed the break. You wouldn't have understood me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back, welcome back. Of, Thank of you. Of course, we can't give you a full crew this week either, so uh, we sent Andras to Malaysia or whatever. We sent Andras somewhere else. Yes, yeah. yes. We said, Le leave Hungary and only come back <laughs> if you behave. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he has a quite different... Um, climate where he is than we have what's the weather at in cologne or where where you live um yeah, i'm close to cologne and because of that it's it's a bit warmer so we always have rain like everywhere around us is snow it's so nice like there's snow everywhere i see this winter wonderland photos all over my timelines and all social media i have and i'm like really feeling quite sad because it's just raining here <laughs> okay sorry to add to that but we actually do have snow here in sweden we've had it for a week which was it's a bit early or not mm. not common i would say end of november being snowy and now mm. it's i guess uh, early december and it's snowing again so the cruelty my yeah heart. it is cruel. we don't well If it makes you feel better, it's not that much. We it's it may be just on the ground. It may just be three or four centimeters, so mm -hmm. it's not enough to actually do anything with. But it mm -hmm. looks nice from from indoors yeah. when you sit there with a hot cup of tea and mm -hmm. you think, well, like this is starting to look like Christmas. Yeah, but there are places <laughs> in Germany that have like fifteen centimeters or more, wow. and I'm not talking about like Alps. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. I really hope we like we had we had a tiny bit of snow, but it barely held on for six hours. It's just too warm here. We have like the, all yeah. the maritime uh, climate a bit. Not really maritime, but you get what I mean. It's just too warm here. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't expect this to last to, until Christmas Eve mm -hmm. either. So yeah, it will probably uh, go away. But at the moment, it it looks nice for all, mm -hmm. if nothing else. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the weather. Yes. <laughs> Anything else we need to... <laughs> well, the Heinz Oberhömer Award has been awarded to Sendung mit der Maus. Um, that happened on the 27th and 28th of November. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just really cool. It's um, well-deserved. I mean, we did criticize uh, Sendung mit der Maus I was here. going to say, we, I didn't yes, think we liked yes. uh, the Sendung well, by Maus, mm -hmm. whatever you say in German. Yeah, Sendung mit der Maus. is like the show with the mouse. That's yeah, basically that's what right. it translates to. And uh, but but I mean like one shitty thing doesn't negate decades of good work. That's why I'm I tend to be like I'm still a bit miffed about the whole thing, but I'm also like a tiny bit lenient on them because uh, they're just like I just grew up with them and and um, I just hope they will be they'll improve and they'll be better and and I will like I will now have my eyes on them. <laughs> but, sure. But um, But it's still like well-deserved award. <laughs> yeah, I just just uh, surprised about the timing because they were. It wasn't just us who who criticized the mm -hmm. the mouse uh, recently. Mm -hmm. A lot of criticism about was it promoting homeopathy or anthroposophy, things like that, or all mm -hmm. kinds of things, really. I think it's the function that like this award was decided way before this all happened. Ah. Um, 
and I think that's more the case. But uh, yeah, it's it's like there there was a lot of criticism, and they still have to get around that. Like they still didn't really position themselves around that. So. Hmm. I hope they can do better because I want them to receive more and more awards for their good work and for their awesome science communication on uh, for children. Yeah. So if, if people are wondering what we're talking about, we did have an episode back in October that we called Globally Meet Their Mouse because they were promoting... Um, and, and we should say also that this Sendung Meet Their Mouse, that, that's, that's a children's program, right? For people to catch up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And they were promoting globally, which is the German term for these little homeopathy pills and other things as well in one of their episodes. Exactly. Well, as you said, we'll have to keep an eye on them and see yes, if they yes. shape up now <laughs> that they got this prestigious prize. Welcome to the European Skeptics Watchdog podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. Speaking of European skeptics, uh, we do have, uh, not, not an announcement, but we can, we can reveal that the 20th European Skeptics Congress is coming back. It's, mm -hmm. uh, the dates have been set. It's going to be in Lyon in France. It's going to be from the 30th of May next year to the 2nd of June. So uh, there is a uh, website which mm -hmm. uh, starting to collect. We have some uh, speakers confirmed and uh, already, and some are, are added every day. Uh, Ed Sardernst will be there, Chris French, Massimo Polodoro, and uh, Carolina Lisle-Gülfe, which is hard to pronounce, but she is a, a very prominent investigator when it comes to climate science. So take a look at that. We'll put the sh uh, link in the show notes and uh, more information will be coming soon. Exciting. Awesome. Mm. <laughs> and of course, we will try to be there as well. Yeah, um, I'll be excited to hear more about EXO, but I'm, I think I'm also excited to hear more about basically the other end of the spectrum here. Um, hmm. As we don't have any twist today, Pontus, is there anything we can poke the Pope for? Yes. Yeah, so I will uh, give a little update on Frankie. Uh, he, we talked about him, I talked about him last week, and he still had plans to go to COP28, the summit uh, regarding climate, uh, the climate crisis, I would like to call it now. But he didn't go, after all. Uh, I reported last week that he was ill, but he still had intentions of going. And of course, my opinion was that he shouldn't go. But the day after our recording, it was announced that he had cancelled the visit uh, after being advised to do so by his doctors. The illness was described by Frankie himself as, quote, very acute infectious bronchitis, end quote. Mm -hmm. And he's getting antibiotic treatment for that. But um, he's still active. He sent uh, his second in command instead, Cardinal Pietro Parolin who is the Secretary of State in the Vatican. And um, he read out a message from Frankie. But I won't go into that. It's I don't think it was very groundbreaking as such. But it highlights the fact that Frankie is getting on there. He's, he'll soon turn 87. And he has had several medical issues over the last few years. And some people are now saying that he's running out of time. And they're saying that he's preparing his quote-unquote endgame meaning Ooh. he's sorting out things before it's maybe too late. So last week, Frankie decided to get even with one of his critics. This is the retired Cardinal Raymond Burke, uh, American, 
Mm-hmm. And Frankie stripped Burke of his privileges, including financial be- benefits and a very attractive rent-free Vatican apartment. So he got kicked out. <laughs> He's still a cardinal, though. He wasn't stripped of his red hat. But um, yeah, uh, apparently he's homeless now if he doesn't have his apartment. I'm, I'm sure he's okay. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. But why would Frankie be mean to a retired cardinal like that? Well, Burke had it coming, you might say. He he has openly challenged Frankie and his reforms, joining other conservatives in issuing the so-called dubia or questions that you can pester Frankie with if you want to. And in addition, this autumn, Burke publicly accused Francis of pursuing a political agenda. Among other things, he said of Frankie, quote, It is unfortunately very clear that the invocation of the Holy Spirit by some has the aim of bringing forward an agenda that is more political and human than ecclesial and divine, end quote. So, I, first, I do double take when I read that, because what's the issue of being human? Don't you want to be human? <laughs> but I'm all, I'm trying to be human. I'm all for humane. humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all for humans. But I think what he means is Frankie is focusing too much on the material here and now rather than the divine stuff that comes afterwards in the heavens. So that wasn't very popular with Frankie. And Frankie's treatment of Burke didn't sit well with another American ex bishop called Joseph Strickland. Strickland was himself removed as a bishop by Frankie recently. He was um, bishop of the Diocese of Tyler in Texas, and this was after Strickland had criticized Frankie. When Strickland now heard that Frankie had revoked Burke's privileges, he called it, quote, an atrocity that must be opposed, end quote. So he's stirring up some real emotions there among the ex-bishops and cardinals out there. Another thing that Frankie has done this year, and I've mentioned this before, but it is relevant here, is that he has packed the court, if you will. Uh, By that, I mean he has recently appointed 21 new cardinals, which means that he has actually exceeded the number of cardinals with voting rights. And with voting rights, I mean the right to participate in the next conclave to elect the next pope. According to the rules, there shouldn't be more than 120 cardinals below the age of 80, because you can be a cardinal over 80 as well, but then you can't vote in the conclave. But instead of 120, there are now 134, 97 of whom have been appointed by Frankie. So that's almost two-thirds. And the more Frankie boys there are in the conclave, of course, the higher the chance is that they will elect someone that Frankie would approve of or thinks in this, along the same lines as, as Frankie does. So the plot thickens. We don't know when Frankie will no longer be Pope. It can, he can still be there for several years now. We don't know. But when he eventually passes on or or even resigns, because that's still on the table as an option. Benedict showed that. And mm-hmm. Frankie has, uh, he hasn't said that he will resign, but he has said things to indicate that he respects a Pope that decides to step down when he no longer can do the job. So when that happens, uh, it will be very interesting to see who will follow Frankie. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. 
We'll also keep an eye on that, I think. <laughs> We're always keeping our eyes on everything. Yes, as we should. <laughs> Thank you, Pontus. Thank you. That means now we go over to our regular segment, which is the news. I'll start with a topic that I actually connect deeply to skepticism because when I went to my first skeptical conference in Rochraw. Rochraw. <laughs> <laughs> Rotschwaff, I, I always butcher that. I always yeah, butcher it. It's very it. difficult. I've trained, <laughs> I've, I've practiced a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> My first skeptical conference in the aforementioned city <laughs> <laughs> was ESC, and there was a big segment about exorcism. Yeah, and there, there were was, an exorcist there actually talking yeah, exactly, to us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And at first, I was really at like looking at Scotty, who was I always wanted to say husband, but he was my boyfriend back then. But I was really looking at him, was like, is is he being serious? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> I really didn't understand it at first. Yeah, but exorcism does still exist, uh, even if if the demons don't. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to talk about it in, in Germany, because there was an important question raised by the format Science versus Fiction, which is sadly soon stopping production. They raised the question, are there still exorcisms happen in Germany today? And there wasn't an investigation or anything. They just said how the procedure works in Germany. And the great exorcism, um, as they call it, is not even officially practiced in Germany. But what's often happening is what they call a heal and freeing service. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the great exorcism... There's nothing great with exorcism. Yeah, right? <laughs> but like it's, it's, it's with a big G. So it's like, look, there, the real deal. there doesn't seem to be a small one, if I'm not completely wrong. But the big exorcism is, it's the thing that you have in your brain when you think about exorcism. Like, think about um, being fixated on a, on a bed and, and someone is like, devil, go away and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and that's what like the big exorcism is. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, in this show, there were also people like a psychiatrist who said that it could help a lot but it could also cause a lot of harm so <laughs> what she thinks is that there's a placebo effect happening because and i quote religion and medicine walk hand in hand what mm -hmm. okay which is also like very much according to the vatican who said and that was in uh, 1999 The teamwork between priests, doctors, and therapists has to go, like, has to be fostered. Has to go, yes. I, it has yes. to go. I don't think there should be any teamwork <laughs> between those. I think so. I think so, too. Yeah. So, I mean, the good thing, and uh, good is also in air quotes here, is that exorcists or, like, priests, whoever does that um, in Germany, if they're Catholic, they have to get permission by the bishop. To, to even do that. Mm -hmm. And they also have to take a therapist, like consult a therapist. And that's like, that's something that I have to say, like, that's actually good that they do that because they even said themselves that someone who is possessed and someone who's having an episode, an acute, like, for example, manic episode or so, that that's indistinguishable if you're not someone like a therapist, a psychiatrist and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, so. 
I'm... Isn't that because it is the same? There is uh, no... Yes. Uh, nobody <laughs> yes. is possessed for real, so... Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm glad that they at least, at least do that. <laughs> the least they can do, but at least they do that. Yeah. And that's why I'm like happy that they at least do that, because, of course, that doesn't count for anyone who is not under the umbrella of the Catholic Church. So we can think of several people like very evangelical or like in religious groups that are under no name, (laughs) but they also offer exorcisms and there you don't have like no control whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's even an exorcist. Yeah, there will be a, a big, big report on that in the new Skeptica that will come out soon. So I will talk about this topic again. Okay, good. <laughs> Just to give a bit, little bit of a sneak peek on that is that there's a guy who calls himself der Bibellehrer, um, the Bible teacher. <laughs> and he did uh, about 500 exorcisms so far. The problem is that he is very... Um, prolific, let's call it, with people that are possessed that are um, young girls. Some reason it's always the case, huh? Yes, or unmarried women. That's really problematic because um, he's actually even persecuted with cyber grooming or, and sexual abuse, harassment, you name it. And yeah, he's still around. He's still offering exorcisms and he's also offering exorcisms to, to younger kids. To uh, Like I, I read of a case where the parents of a 10-year-old brought their child there. So this is really, really problematic and all under the name of exorcism, which is always rubbish and always horrible. But this is almost like a new layer of it. There we just see that vulnerable people get preyed upon by people that that use oppressive systems in their favor. Hmm. I remember I was very surprised when I had learned couple, well, quite a few years ago now, that it's not just the Catholic Church. I always associated mm-hmm. exorcisms with mm-hmm. Catholics. Yeah, me too. But it's very common, not mm-hmm. just in so-called free churches, the more mm-hmm. fundamental churches, but also within Protestantism. And in Norway, I remember reading a, a, an article several years ago about Norway and how prevalent it was there. And as you said, it, it's always what very often happens is that you try to beat the devil out of somebody who has a mental issue. Or you just bully somebody and mm-hmm. you don't like somebody and you say that that person isn't behaving like I want them to behave. So um, it must be the devil and I'll try to beat the devil out of that person. I mean, mm-hmm. it's obviously extremely problematic and yeah. should be um, quite illegal. Quite yes, illegal. yes. Like, like any abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen screenshots of a video where this exorcist even used fire. Like he used um, oh, a match and stuff. Oh. And you just like, what the actual heck? You know, it's like, uh, it's no. Torture. It's, it is, it is. And I think all we can do is informing about this. And that's why I'm actually also applauding the skeptica. Because the more people know about this, the less likely it is that vulnerable people will get sent to these frauds. I I think it's people are not aware of how common this is. Mm -hmm. And uh, people think this is something that happened a long time ago. And nowadays Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. It happens a lot. Or in movies, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Terrible stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, new subject then. Uh, but also um, terrible stuff, I think, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it is, in a way. 
So the question is, does Sweden have the second worst problem with gun violence in Europe? Several years ago, there was this myth propagated that Sweden had fallen into a decay of lawlessness with shootings and bombs and with er certain areas in, in cities being declared so-called no-go zones by the police. In these uh, zones, the police allegedly refused to go in and uphold the law because it was too unsafe for them to do so. And these rumors went on for months or half a year or so, maybe longer. And I remember getting concerned emails from abroad asking if I was okay. I even got emails. Oh, that I remember that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got emails that expressed their regrets that I had to endure living in such a terrible country, things like that. And uh, I had to try to debunk all this on the show, saying that it's not, it wasn't true. It was all exaggerations and misinformation. Of course, there's always crime in every country, and there are happy, I mean, gun violence did happen. But the big picture, even in the mainstream media abroad, was very misleading at the time. So now again, I read this headline in The Guardian, uh, quote, How Gang Violence Took Hold of Sweden, end quote. It has a subtitle as well, quote, Scandinavian country has second highest gun crime death rate in Europe, with poverty and inequality among the driving factors, end quote. So, is it time again now for Pontus to debunk misinformation, just like I did in, I think it was 2017 or so, mm -hmm. maybe. Mm. You know, that would have been great. But the fact of the matter is that this time there's something to it. According to this graph in The Guardian, which I believe is correct, the gun violence in Sweden is uh, the second highest in Europe at the moment. And it doesn't look good at all. And these numbers are from 2022 and were just being made public, I, I assume. Worst in Europe is Albania. And then we have Sweden in second place. And then uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, third place. Moldova, fourth place. Greece, fifth, and so on. But Albania is in a different league altogether. I don't know what's happening there, but they have a real high gun crime death rate per 100,000 citizens. That is the, the measure there. And I won't go into the numbers. It doesn't matter. But what is happening here? It's not that everyone and his uncle in Sweden suddenly have decided to go around shooting people or to blow up businesses. That happens too. But the, the short explanation is that this is mostly, and I'm sure this is a simplification, but it's mostly due to one person or rather one crime syndicate led by this person. What, what apparently happened is that this crime group has fallen apart. So they are fighting within them, among themselves. And the reason, as I understand it, is that several people in high position under this one person, I won't name the person, but he's, the name is in the Swedish papers. People just below him has been either put in jail or been taken out by rivals very recently. And this has created a power vacuum with most of the senior bosses gone. A lot of younger, more inexperienced thugs, I will call them, are trying to fill that vacuum. And what is very disturbing is that they seem to target not just their competitors, but also the competitors' family members. So there have been cases with close relatives being eliminated too. 
So it's, mm. it is true. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. And a couple of times as well, innocent bystanders have been accidental um, victims because these young guys, and I think some of them are just in the upper teens or in their early 20s, they don't have, I don't know why, but, but they are more ruthless and they don't show any consideration for the surroundings. So that it does happen. And there is um, something in this new situation that is mm -hmm. reported abroad. That being said, I should say I still feel quite safe going out at night. And there are no so-called no-go zones in any city. So if you hear that, that is a lie. The police are doing what they can. The underlying problem, of course, is that there is poverty and an increased number of people in society that are getting marginalized and they don't have much opportunities to make an honest living. So they get drawn into these crime syndicates. And what is concerning, too, is that our right wing government at the moment only talks about harder punishments. That's how they want to combat this, which as we have talked about here before and quite recently, is not something that is effective. And if you want a recap of that discussion, I can recommend going back to episode 402. So that's not too long ago. It was called Crime and Punishment. And uh, in there, I interviewed Paula Dahlberg, who, is look, who has looked into this very much. And uh, you can hear that discussion there. But Harder punishments do not work. What everybody says work better is if people, first of all, give people a chance to make an honest living. That help people who are poor and marginalized. That helps a lot. The other thing that helps is if you show to criminals that there's a high risk for them to get caught, that has a preventative effect. But if you just increase the punishment and say, well, instead of five years, you'll get seven years for this crime. Well, if you think you're going to get caught, you're not concerned if it's five or seven years. You're going to not do it, right? Mm -hmm. But if you think you're going to get away with it, it doesn't matter how hard the punishment is. Anyway, so long story short, uh, there is actually an uptake in gun violence in Sweden at the moment. And I hope it's something that uh, we can get rid of. Yeah, I hope so too. Like, it's really jarring and, and scary. <laughs> hmm. Gun violence or like violence is always something that I think is almost looming on the horizon. And it's something I feel I as a, as an individual can't do much about. And I actually feel almost the same about the climate crisis because it's something I, I feel helpless. I don't know. There are little things I can do, of course, but. I don't feel like I, as, as like an individual, can turn it around. And what helps me is actually um, completely ignoring the topic and watching TV shows like Doctor Who. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> and if you thought that was a whiplash segue, then you're right. What does climate change and Doctor Who have to do with each other? Well, there were three researchers called Mark Hudson, Marcus Harms and Richard Douglas who looked at Doctor Who and what the show gets wrong about climate change and energy justice. So they, they did research about that, which I think is, is really interesting. 
I don't know if you know Pontus, but I actually also did a bit of research on Doctor Who for my uh, thesis when I finished my state exam, Staatsexam, as they call oh, it in really? German. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. when I graduated from university, I looked at uh, Charles Dickens in Doctor Who and how he's presented there and if there's any fiction or <laughs> reality, like what's what's happening there. Of course, the ghosts of Christmas past were maybe a bit fictional in the show, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just basically combined my English and history and my interest in literature and in Doctor Who with, and, and wrote the thesis. So I really enjoyed this article too. And because Doctor Who is coming up on its 60th anniversary, it's, it also has a bit of a relevance for right now. So yes, you might think, yeah, well, we do we really have to look at work of fiction to research that we have more important things to do? Well, I would say pop culture is part of what we do and we influence pop culture by what we create and also pop culture influences us and Doctor Who is part of pop culture and I think that's why it's important to look at this. For this the researchers looked at five episodes across the six years and what they found is actually pretty harsh in that is it actually doesn't really advocate for climate or energy justice. So <laughs> it's more what, what the doctor usually does, they say, is he resets the society. He comes there, he saves everything by himself, resets the society, and that's that. That means he doesn't help the people, the oppressed, <laughs> to advance their interests through political power, through legal process, through their own It's as they called it, and I quote, Once the doctor arrives, anyone who is oppressed can just sit back and relax, waiting for the doctor to fix everything, end quote. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I don't, uh, I sadly couldn't find out which five episodes they looked at, because that would be interesting, as I think that it might be a bit better in the more recent episodes. Probably, yeah. Um, because it's like, I think it's, it's pretty understandable that in a society that was had still a very colonial mindset, that there the doctor also behaved in a bit, yeah, a colonial way, coming in, saving things, going away again. <laughs> And not like, for example, in, in episodes from 1974, or 1966 or 1985, he's usually not treating exploited people as equals, fights their battles for them. And it seems a bit, yeah, disempowering. It's, it's not really yeah. uh, inspiring to be like, oh yeah, I can, I can be active. I can do something as an individual. Mm -hmm. And we know that we have to do something about that. We all have to get active and it's not enough to be like, oh yeah, climate change, whatevs. We all have to work on that. And that's why Doctor Who would be so important to inspire that or all the pop culture would be so yeah, important. Yeah, it has the potential of yes. spreading science literacy. Mm -hmm. And I think and the uh, problem is that like, once if the writers don't feel inspired to write that, <laughs> then it's also hard to do that, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 sure. As you just said, they have this opportunity to do a lot of, like they could do a lot of good because it's so popular and... They could do much more than just telling a plot. They could do incorporate science communication and teach history and yeah, inspire people to, to become more active. Mm -hmm. It would also be great if they would, with the storytelling, actually be authentic and like, don't reset the society, just show them, quote again, 
the hard grind of organizing, resisting and winning social and environmental justice, end quote. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so science literacy, mm -hmm. speaking of that. Yeah. The PISA results, the PISA results Ooh. for 2022 has just come out. So it takes a while. The, the PISA, of course, for people who don't know, is the Program for International Student Assessment. It is a an investigation done regularly to check the knowledge level of 15-year-olds across the world and compare countries to each other, but also compare to find trends, mm -hmm. uh, see if we're going the right way or not. And they measure three categories, mathematics, reading and science. And it just came out very, very recently. I just, I mean, I haven't had too much time to look at it, but I took a look at the science, of course, because that's what we're mostly interested in. Even reading, of course, is very important. And mathematics, I shouldn't say that. As one could expect, it is not good news. The average score in Europe, I specifically looked at Europe only, mm -hmm. has dropped from, and this is just the, the points you're getting on these investigations, so it doesn't really translate to anything, but the, the, the points have dropped from 474.1 to 469.4 points in Europe in, on average, so that's a drop of about five points. And um, if we look at the numbers, Estonia and Finland is still number one and number two, respectively. But they have lost four and 11 points. Mm -hmm. uh, so four points for Estonia and 11 points for Finland has been dropped. So it's still going down. On third and fourth place, we have Ireland and Switzerland, who have both gone against the trend. So that's good news. And they have gained eight and seven points, respectively. So well done for them. But apart from that, it's mostly bad news. I won't go through the full list because it's just a lot of numbers, mm. but we will link to the, to the PDF, of course, that describes this. I can mention that Denmark has done okay and has advanced, but that's mostly because the others have lost points. So you could advance in the, in the league just because the other gets worse. So they've gone from 13th to 9th place in Europe. Sweden, unfortunately, has gone the other way from 8th position to 10th. Germany, Annika, has gone from 7th to 11th place. So that's bad. They've lost 11 points. Iceland, Poland, Netherlands, Norway have lost a lot and others are more neutral so more analysis is needed, and you can do that when we have time to, to look at it a little bit longer. But it's been a bad four years between 2018 and 2022 for the knowledge levels of 15-year-olds, uh, especially in the science knowledge. Of course, we've had the pandemic. I'm sure that plays into it. Mm -hmm. People or students were forced to stay home at times. And uh, there were online teachings and stuff, and that's probably not as effective as before. But it's mm -hmm. still, even with the pandemic in mind, this is just the continuation of a trend yes. that we've seen for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's worrying. Yeah, it is. We know that like IQ and education, that's all a spectrum. And I would say we don't have to worry about the, the higher end of the spectrum, but we have to worry about the general public, the mean, <laughs> so to say. Mm. And if that's slipping lower and lower, what can we do? And me as a teacher, I'm like, yeah, it's concerning. Mm. Very. 
yeah, with these four very cheery news items, um, <laughs> I think we, we should conclude the news segment. And now that we successfully have uh, brought and kept the mood down, I now, of course, want to bring that point home with finding out who has been really wrong this week. Yes, as I said, it's it's a bummer and it will bring the mood down further or keep it low. I want to give the award out to Russia's Supreme Court. Mm, Russia. Mm -hmm. What a shock. Yeah, what a shock. Like who has ever been um, a more deserving recipient? I think a lot of people, yes, but Russia has been a recipient of the Really Wrong Award for quite a few times. And what they did now is they declared the, and they call it, quote, the international LGBT public movement, end quote. And they declared it an extremist organization and banned its activities across the country. Mm. Yes. They, it's just the latest in the in It the was, trend. yeah. It's just uh, the latest scene in the shit show. This was pu putting forward by a motion from the justice ministry and... Interestingly enough, there is no organization as a legal entity that is the international LGBT public movement. No. It's it's not like a club where you join and then you're just like, cool, I've got my member's card. It's not a movement. It's a sexuality. Come on. The thing is, they, as you said, it, this wasn't the first that happened. Russia's constitution was changed three years ago to show that marriage means a union between a man and a woman and um, that same-sex unions are not recognized. And then this is really concerning because now if people um, suspect you could be gay, they can show you, throw you into prison. Mm. It actually reminds, reminds me a bit of an add-on. I don't want to be um, too generalizing, but this almost reminds me a bit of a witch hunt. It is, absolutely. And I've heard, yeah. I mean, I've seen people saying from within Russia that gay people, people who are queer or not conforming to the Russian mm -hmm. standards, quote unquote, yeah. they are now looking to emigrate. People yeah. don't want to stay in Russia because it's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's also showing how Russia is abusing its own laws because this law that, that they are evoking is mm -hmm. a law which is bad in itself, but that is to ban organizations that are what they consider against the interests of Russia or something like mm -hmm. that. That's terrible in itself. But now they even say that we know there's no organization. This law is against organizations. Well, we know there's no organization. Mm -hmm. They admit that. But we're going to use the same law anyway to per persecute anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like I I quote, and I kind of don't want to say his name because I don't want to show more um, attention, like put more attention on him because he might very well be prosecuted then as well. But he said, and we put, the link is in the show notes. If people want to read up on it, then they can. But he said, quote, there's panic in Russia's LGBT community. We're having to evacuate from our own country. It's terrible. Right, like, exactly. End quote. He really says evacuate because it is uh, they have to like it is an evacuation and it's just horrible uh, it's it, i i can't even really like talk about it because it's so horrible it's so mind-blowing 
Yeah, and people are even like saying, they, they say, oh, it's nice, we don't need any LGBT organizations, international or national. That's not nice to keep, like, to take away people's freedom and persecute them. How is that nice? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, this is a conscious move by Russia to try to divert the mm -hmm. attention from other things, yes. right? Yes, it's, it's all in the books if you want to be a good dictator, right? Yeah. You just point to some other group and create a conflict with them yeah. to divert from the fact that uh, we are behaving horribly in Ukraine. Yeah, it's like a red herring. It's um Exactly. Look over there. Look over there. Yeah. In in, in German we call it a Nebelkerze, which uh, literally means a fog a candle. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, because a Nebelkerze or in English, um, like a smoke grenade. <laughs> yeah, you can use it to hide where the, your goal is, hide where the bombs are going. Yeah. And, um, and that might even be a quite literal thing in, in, with Russia. Sure. So, of course, it's also part of their whole battling the West thing. They feel like the evil uh, six-color rainbow flag and LGBT people are uh, a part of Western um, ideas. Mm. But to, to wrap this all up, they are hurting people there. And it's just horrible. It's making the atmosphere in the Russian society even more fearful. I can really feel that or understand that, that they feel like with every word you're saying, you're crossing into a minefield, say one thing to the wrong person, and you, you might land in prison. Mm -hmm. That's a sign of an oppressed society, isn't it? So for being oppressive, for declaring something that's not a movement, but also something that's not a crime to be a crime, Russia's Supreme Court receives this week's prize for being really fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah, good. They deserve it. Yeah, so that was my really wrong award. Now I would like to find out, Pontus, do we have... A wow, a word of the week. <laughs> oh, it's called the wow. Well, it's, it could be a wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, we do, we do. A little bit lighter note to end Finally. this uh, rather <laughs> depressing show on. So I have a word for you, Annika. Mm -hmm. And as the tradition, I'm not telling you uh, what language it is. So mm -hmm. the first one is to uh, guess the language. The word sounds like this. Vrajitoare. Vrajitoare. Okay. Vrajitoare. Mm. What on earth is that? And Check. also, from what language is that? I have no idea. Czech, maybe? <laughs> Czech, yeah. Uh, no, it's not Czech. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I it, thought. It's it, really it does hard. sound. It does sound a bit like, I don't know, um, Polish? Like something like that. Actually, that's not correct. So, because both Czech and Polish are Slavic languages, and this is not a Slavic language. Okay. This is a Romance language. Oh, which may be a little bit surprising. I'll, yeah. Let's hear it again. Yes. Romance please. languages, of course, Italian, French, mm -hmm. Spanish. Vrajitoare. Vrajitoare. Is it Portuguese? It, no, it's not. <laughs> it is Romanian. Oh, the Romanian <laughs> romance language. Well, even though they have Roman in the name of it, mm. we often forget that yes. it's a romance language. Yes. It's a very fascinating language because it sits in the middle of the Slav mm -hmm. Slavic languages. 
and also Hungarian is close to it. So mm-hmm. it, it is uh, very interesting. Sorry, Romanians, s- for calling you Polish. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Polish, for maybe inferring that that's a bad thing. It's not. <laughs> yeah. So surrounded by Slavic languages and Hungarian, which is an Uralic language, is not, and that's not even Indo-European. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a remnant here of uh, from way back when the Romans conquered most of Europe, people up there still continued to speak Latin for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And of course, over time, it changed into Romanian. Romanian is the official language of Romania, of course. It is also the official language in one more country. And now I'm just testing you. This is like, they are, we need more science literacy in, in the world, right? So let's start here, putting you on the spot, Annika. So where Latin is also a, a formal language? Well, not Latin, but uh, Romanian. Oh, okay. Uh, with Latin, I would have said the Vatican. But <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. You but, get uh, half a point ooh, for that. Um, pff, the US? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's absolutely close to Romania. In Moldova. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but, it is, but it is a trick question in a way, because not until very recently, they were still called Moldovan, what they speak in Moldova. But uh, from the in the 90s, they decided to call it, well, this is actually Romanian, maybe a little bit of a dialect of Romanian, but mm. Romanian is the official language mm. of Moldova. So, oh, yeah, languages are so know. interesting in that regard. Like, I just, that just reminded me of Croatian and, uh, like, what was one language very quickly separated into two languages. And, uh. Yes. Yes. So, well, so interesting. It follows a lot of politics, of course. And mm-hmm. when you draw a line on a map and call that a border, suddenly people on the different sides of the border are no longer speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. But of course, in a way they are. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's like, even, even, oh, sorry, we could go on, like, I think, hours about that because we're both linguist uh, nerds. Yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, so read up on this, people. It is fascinating yes, stuff. Yes. But let's get back to the yes, word. Yes, so what does it mean? <laughs> let, let me play it one more time so yes. you can hear it. Vrajitoare. Vrajitoare means which. Oh. Because we want to choose words that have some sort of skeptical mm-hmm. angle here. So, Vrajitoare means which. Wow. And then, of course, we need to put it in a sentence just because. And that the sentence goes like this. Vrajitoare arunca o vraj. <laughs> I hope this is correct. But it's Vrajitoarea arunca o vraja. Something like that. And if I'm correct, it means the witch casts a spell. Oh, yeah, but that so makes sense, you know that. like vraja and vrajitua, whatever. Um, <laughs> yes, so... So maybe it means something like a spell worker, spell worker casts a spell. Yes, <laughs> right, something like that, something like that. And that is, surprisingly, a language that used to be Latin, but things happen over time. That's so cool, it's really cool, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pontus, that was super enlightening and... I always love word of the week because it's uh, it's uh, usually lighthearted and also very fascinating. So thank mm. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. That basically concludes our show, but I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. 
Yes, and this week's quote um, is by Hannah Fry. Um, Ooh, who, love Hannah Fry. Yes, I already quoted her once before, but she's just too cool to not quote her several she times. She said a lot of fantastic yes, things. Yes, she does yes. say a lot of interesting. Science communicator. Exactly. British mathematician, author, science communicator, radio and television presenter. She said, quote, I spent quite a lot of time thinking about how curated our information is. What we watch, what we read, what we buy, often who we talk to is all shaped and influenced by some kind of mathematical algorithm. End quote. Ooh, mathematical yeah. algorithms. She's saying we are guided by um, algorithms, I, I guess, mostly online. Mm -hmm. Big Algo is watching us. <laughs> mm, big Algo. Yeah. But it's also like the whole curated the information. And it's true. Like, And that's where the skeptical angle comes in. We shouldn't take everything that our phone provides us with at, at face value. We should stay skeptical mm. And, mm. and do research. Yeah, we should remember that we are not seeing what we choose to see. Somebody else chose for us. Mm -hmm. Very often. Yes. And it's also if even com coming to like mental health, if you think that everything's horrible and that there's only bad news in the world, then it kind of can also sometimes be your algorithm. Mm. So like that actually happened to me when Ukraine got attacked by Russia when, when the war started. I really got like, I was so down. I was like, there's only war happening, only war. And I was very, yeah, down until Scotty said like, what's happening? And I'm like, yeah, but like, there's only war everywhere. And he's like, uh, do you maybe want to reset your phone in a way? It seems like your algorithm is like completely stuck on that bad <laughs> things. And, and it, that was the case. And, and I like, I purposefully watched like videos of puppies and stuff. And that kind of yeah, helped. Yeah. So now it's only rainbows and unicorns <laughs> yes. and everything and is fine. I'm so happy all the time. No, not really, but, <laughs> but st yeah. stay skeptical of your phone, so to say, without, without, I don't want to be fear mongering with technology, but yeah, stay alert that the information we receive is curated, as Hannah Fry says. Mm. Yes. All right. Very good. So that's the end of this show. Thank you, Pontus, for doing this show with me. Thanks a lot. Andras, please come back. <laughs> Thanks to our listeners for also coming back week after week. And until next week, goodbye. Hey, do. Tschüss. Wieslat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Several 
<laughs> Several years ago. Also, oh no, that's that's a very stupid segue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, the, it's 60, 60th year anniversary. No, anniversary already says here. Oh, man. 